Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Something that we get a lot in the submissions for this show are questions about how long you should try to get your art out there into the world? How long should you try to get your novel published? Should you try to be a rock star? Should you try to become a professional sculptor? We have talked to some of these people on air, and we see a lot of these questions in our submission forms. And the truth is, is that I absolutely have no idea as to when you should stop doing this. I'm anti-stories of grit and just like stick-to-itiveness. And that that is what makes you successful because I think privilege is a huge part of what makes you successful. And I think that if something is hurting you or harming you, you should probably stop. And yet I also know that it takes people years and years in order to get in front of an agent and get an editor and get published and that you have to learn about the industry. And I have a book published by a major publishing house And I don't know what the steps are in publishing. I would have no idea how to get a second book published, let alone if I wanted to get a sculpture on a college campus. I have no idea. Luckily, every once in a while on Should I Quit, we take a step back and talk to an expert. And we have the perfect expert to talk about this topic with today. Mackenzie Lee is a best-selling author who has written books like The Gentleman's Guide to Vice and Virtue, and she is the kind of author who believes in teaching other people how to do what she did, how to sell a book, how to professionalize your art. In fact, she's teaching a class on it for Not Sorry Productions called A Publishing Crash Course with Mackenzie Lee. She is somebody who has learned the tips and tricks of this, knows the pitfalls of it, and wants to share the information that she has gleaned over the years. So that is what I am going to do today. I am going to try to figure this out with Mackenzie Lee. When should we keep pushing through? And when should we say, I am writing this novel for me? Just a heads up. Mackenzie's neighborhood rudely decided to try to improve its streets right while we were recording, and so you are going to hear some of that in the background. It won't diminish the genius. I'm Vanessa Zoltan, and this is Should I Quit? (laughs) 
Hi, Mackenzie. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for coming. So before we jump into the should I quit of it, I'm wondering if you could just brag a little bit about your writing career. You are a writer. This is an amazing thing that you have figured out to be. What do you write? How do you write? Pretend you're talking about your best friend. Okay, so I'm the author of 10 books. Some of them are historical fiction for young adults. Some of them are licensed novels with Marvel. And some of them are nonfiction books about women and dogs in history you probably should know about, but probably don't. I have an MFA in creative writing from Simmons College. I have a BA in history and... I have been a New York Times bestseller and a Stonewall Book Award winner. And I was on a Forbes 30 under 30 list. And all of those things are really cool. (laughs) They're so cool. (laughs) You are like, you're doing it. Like you are making a living as a writer. I am. I'm trying. Some days feel dicier than others. The other thing I will mention in terms of making a living as a writer is that I have been a bookseller for 10 years. I've been, I've worked in five different bookstores across the country And I mostly make my income from writing, but I still work as a bookseller because I just can't quit it because I love pushing books on people and talking about what I'm reading and sharing my opinions about those things like they're facts. I love someone who's good at pushing books because with the wrong attitude, it can feel like someone is giving you an assignment. But with the right attitude, it's like you're getting invited to the best party ever. You're like, I designed this party for you. Here you go. Or it can be like, sorry, you're still in middle school you have to read this. Right. Well, and I think what makes a really good book pusher, book recommender is someone who's willing to meet you where you live and not try and like make you into a reader you're not. We have this, I run into this right. a lot with kids and I, I understand with kids, like you feel like you have to hit marks and you have to like get them to whatever reading level the teacher has told them they need to be on. But I have so many parents who come in and talk to me about their kids and they're like, I really want them to be reading the secret garden or little women, but all they read is wimpy kid. And I'm like, dude, just let him read wimpy kid. Like if you found a book that your kid really, really loves, and this goes for adults too. And I think we've seen this in the, sorry, I'm going on a diatribe, but I think we've seen this no. in the past couple of years with like the rise in, in books that are recommended on TikTok. And these books like come out of nowhere. And everyone's like, how could we have predicted? And I'm like, you can't, but also the reason these books are rising up is because nobody's like telling people what they have to read. These are coming organically from people finding the thing that they feel like has been left out of mainstream literature or the thing that's been left out of like what they're told they should read for so long. Now they finally found it and people are latching onto that and finding the books that speak to them. And it's really like, it's exciting and cool. And that's the biggest thing I think is just like letting people tell you what they want and listening to that and respecting it rather than having this like pre-prescribed list of like, here are the books everyone should read sometime in their life. Cause no book is going to be for everybody. Yeah. I actually think that that is not a diatribe. It's something perfect for should I quit? Because like, that's the thing is like figuring out what your value is as a parent, as a reader, whoever, and then quitting all of the things that aren't living up to the value. A parent comes in is like, I want them to read The Secret Garden. And it's like, well, do you want them to read The Secret Garden or do you want them to be a reader and have a lifelong relationship with books? And Secret Garden was the key to you, but like, maybe it's not going to be the key to them. And figuring out the want under the want and then like shedding all of the baggage that comes with the ineffective ways that we can go about those things. So I feel like it's like you should quit trying to tell your kid exactly what to read and should be just fostering a lifelong relationship with reading. So 
we talk to a lot of people on this podcast, and I think a lot of our listeners have these questions about creativity in their lives. They feel called to write or to paint or, you know, to write songs, perform, any number of things, but they can't figure out how to make a living at it. And there's a lot of sadness and angst about that, right? Of like, I feel a passion for this. I feel a calling for it. And yet the financial support parts of it do not feel accessible to me. And I think a lot of people know that like, even if I publish my book, I'm not going to be able to make a living out of it. Like even a hundred thousand dollar advance is over three years, right? So it's only right. $33,000 a year. And then it's even less after an agent fee. And I was going to say, well, right? and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about this in the publishing class, but it's $33,000 a year after you've already done three years of work on this book and you're going right. to do three more years of work on it. If I tallied up every moment I spend thinking about my books and doing like mental work even for them, I might as well be paying the publisher. Like it's shockingly below minimum wage. Right. And so I think people know that like they're going to sell a book and it's not like they're going to become J.K. Rowling. Like it is really rare that something like that happens. But what they yearn for in my understanding is like being seen, like you are spending a lot of time crafting something and crafting something that you feel as though represents a part of you. And sometimes it'll feel like, well, and nobody wants to look, which is incredibly isolating, right? And can be a really hard thing to grapple with. And I also don't have like a golden ticket, silver bullet, like, and this is when you have to just give up on publishing, you know, that, you know. But but art is, I mean, it's exactly what you said. Art is transactional, whether or not we want it to be. I mean, you can make art for yourself, but at the end of the day, art is a tool for communication. It's a tool for for storytelling and empathy. And if you just tell yourself the same stories over and over again, you're missing out on a huge part of art, which is that it's used to reach out and connect with other people. And so it can feel sort of like if you're just writing for yourself and you're writing and nobody's putting it out there publishing, or if you're not putting it out there and publishing, it can sort of feel like you're just shouting into the dark. Yeah. I think that, you know, the thing that I want to acknowledge, because I also like don't have a silver bullet for this is that desire to be like, but I want my art to be seen because I want to feel seen. And what I never want to say to anybody is like, well, it's time for you to stop trying to get seen. And I understand why there are certain forms of being seen that feel more special than others, right? And like the rarest form of it, the like making a living, the selling the painting, the being the star of the show, whatever it is, I understand that that feels more exclusive and therefore more special. And I just want your help in like really trying to like untangle that thread of like the desire to be seen is so, so real and not something that I ever want to tell anybody to quit. But I also don't want people to like torture themselves. Right. Well, I think an important thing to address too is that you said most people who pursue art, or let's say specifically, because this is my field, pursue publication, know that they're not going to be J.K. Rowling. Like, and we feel like we go in with reasonable expectations because we know we're not going to be J.K. Rowling. However, I think there's always a part of us that's like, 
I don't have to be that, but I'm going to feel, I'm going to feel at some point good or valuable or worth it or like I've been validated. And I used to feel, I remember before I signed with an agent on my writing, I used to feel like, you know what, if I can just get an agent, I'll be great. And that'll be enough. And even if I never get published, that'll, I'll feel validated. And then I signed with an agent and I was like, that was cool for 10 minutes. Now I need the next thing. Like that didn't actually make me feel, it didn't take away my imposter syndrome. It didn't make me feel like a good writer. It didn't make me feel secure in my art. I need a book deal though. If I just get a book deal, it's going to make all those fears go away. And then you get the book deal and you're like, cool. Actually, no, I need more than this. And every sort of next step on your journey, unless you are secure in yourself and secure in your voice and secure in your art and feel good about it outside of all those external validations, it's never going to bring you what you want. There's no thing that's going to make you feel good or seen or valued or worth it unless you find that inside of yourself. And I don't know how to find it inside of yourself. I wish, again, I damn, this whole podcast is just going to be like, so we don't actually know. (laughs) So glad you tuned in. No answers here. A deeply unhelpful podcast episode. But I just know from experience that like we want to be seen, but there's no level of, at least in my experience, there's no level of achievement that can make you feel that way unless you've done the the inside work and you have a, a good relationship with your, your value and your art. And I would like your listeners to know that I say this with no self-security. Like I get sad <laughs> about every rejection. I get sad about every mean tweet I see. Like I can speak sagely on a subject and not apply it to my own life at all. <laughs> oh my God. All of us. I remember the first time I read Emily Nagoski's book, Come As You Are, She has this thing at the beginning. She was like, the first thing that you need to do is love your body exactly as it is because your body is just going to keep changing. And so you always have to love your body as it is. And I read it and I was like, sure. But like, also, if I was in better shape, I would love my body more. And then she was like, many of you are thinking about how sure, but if it was different, you would be able to do that. Let me tell you, that's not true. And then I was like, that's probably true for everybody else. But really, really, if I could just run a nine-minute mile instead of a 10-minute mile, I think I would feel better. And then she was like, and some of you are still saying to yourself. And I was like, (laughs) get out of my head, Emily Nikoski. And she was just like, you have to believe me. This is the relationship you're going to have with your body. Learn to love your body. Like, I hear the people at home who are like, no, but just when. And it's like, yes, we all have that feeling about just when. And like, I think that you're right that as much as the work as other things too, so much of the work is just like fighting every day with like loving who you are and being okay in your skin. I think that's such a good analogy. And I think we, to maybe belabor the metaphor a little bit, when you see like, like very in shape people on Instagram being like, love your body. And you're like, well, that's easy for you to say. You are the societal standard of ideal beauty probably your listeners are listening to me say this and going, okay, but like you're a New York Times bestselling author. Obviously it's easier to take rejection. Obviously it's easier to love your work from being a New York Times bestselling author. And I look at people like, I don't know, people who have careers, I won't name any names, but like people whose careers I really envy. And I'm like, okay, but it would be so much easier to love my work and feel good about myself if I had a Pulitzer Prize or if I had a multi-million dollar movie franchise. Like then I would be able to love myself and love my work and see my value. But it goes back to that idea of like, there's never going to be that invisible marker you cross and you're like, now I've let go of all my insecurities and fears. And so I think it's, I think it's 
it's a good metaphor for a lot of reasons because we also, we do it with our bodies. We do it with our work. We're constantly comparing ourselves to other people. That's the problem too, is you have to find ways to keep your eyes on your own paper when you're working and just also respecting your own journey too. And that's, that's going to be the, the tough, but the fun thing about the publishing class is publishing is such a different journey and such a different beast for everybody. And there's that you can lay out the, like, here's the one path that if you had to like average out everybody's experiences, here's sort of the most traditional way to do it. But also there's so much variation and so many factors and so many things that change. I know for me from book to book, things have been enormously different, how I've gotten book deals, the marketing experiences I've had, the editing experiences I've had, all of those things. So it's also like, it's an incredibly variable process and we can't, it's, it's hard to compare ourselves to each other. The other thing I, I will say too, in terms of the, the answer to the question, when should I quit is once you meet a lot of published writers and once you meet a lot of like really accomplished published writers, you learn pretty quick that the biggest difference between published writers and unpublished writers is that published writers are just like relentless and they just didn't quit and they just stuck it out longer. Talent is like 2% of it. Everybody's talented in the business. Everybody's a good writer. Everybody's got a different thing going for them. The sort of magic that gets you then from a published or from an unpublished writer to a published writer is being in the right place at the right time and sending your book to the right person and having them send it to the right person and having the right person on staff and the right cover design. Like there's so much luck involved and so much just persistence involved. I don't, I don't know a lot of writers who are, who got where they are because of their insane talent, but I know a lot of writers who got where they are because of their insane persistence. Yeah. And like, to me, it's just like the cost benefit analysis of like, is the relentlessness hurting you? Yeah. It's not that being relentless is a virtue, right? It doesn't mean the better people or the better writers are getting published. It means the relentless people are getting published. And if, if being relentless doesn't work for you, then you shouldn't be relentless. I, I think one of the problems is that we just like place value on relentlessness as if it is in and of itself a virtue. And it's not. A lot of people who I judge really fiercely can be described as relentless. Yeah. Like whoever can wear themselves out first should not be the competition. Right. And it sucks that so many artistic industries, that's sort of the thing that you have to do is it's like, who's willing to just keep running until you literally collapse from exhaustion and still keep going. And it sucks that we, we, we require artists to like burn themselves out and set themselves on fire in order to survive. And then we praise that as a virtue. And I say that as someone who just praised that as a virtue, but it sucks that's sort of like built into the industry. The thing that I want to push people towards, I think, is like a little bit of like tortoise versus the hare. Your relentlessness can be not depleting. Right. I also just think like so much of all aspects of life is about grief. Like the dream that I have of like being a published author is never going to come true. And I need to make peace with that. Even if I'm always trying, even if I'm relentless, I have to grieve the possibility that that is true, right? Like I'm someone who's written one book and I'm like, I might not ever get a second book deal. I don't know, right? And I think that that's what you're saying with like just having to be at peace with ourselves. But I also think it's sad and hard sometimes that we're human. <laughs> and therefore, like not every book is going to get read. Not every dance performance is going to get seen. 
And we can't all just observe and watch each other all the time. And I don't think they're mutually exclusive. Like, I think we can understand how hard it is to not be seen and how badly we want to be seen while also recognizing that in order to feel seen, there often is an element of relentless work that has to go with it. And there's an element of luck and an element of timing. Part of what we'll talk about in the publishing class too, that's so that's so wonderful about our, our modern world is there are now so many different ways to get published too. So sometimes the relentlessness in the work doesn't come in as you have to work to send a million emails to agents. You have to decide if that's the work you want to do or if the work you want to do is that I'm going to be the one who self-publishes my book. I'm going to do the marketing myself. I'm going to do the layout pages. I'm going to learn how to cover design or like whatever you want to do. And so it's it's great though to have those different options of like where you want to put the hours in and where you want to put your energy. Yes. Everybody's got different priorities and different things they want that are going to make their art feel valuable and seen and like they've they've shared it with people. And in this publishing class that we're doing, we're going to explore all of those and sort of I'm I'm hoping to give sort of a crash course on everything. I, it's not just about traditional publishing. It's not just about here's how you query agents. Here's how you get an editor. We're also going to talk about indie publishing. We're going to talk about self-publishing. We're going to talk about everybody's individual goals and desires and what sort of path to publication might be best for them based on those. Yeah. I love what you said about like, how do you want to spend your time? One of the best pieces of advice I got was like when I was in business school, this like career guy came about like what makes people happiest in their jobs. And he was like, I am asking you right now to not think about what impact you want to have on the world, like what kind of company you want to work for. What do you like doing with your day? Like, when are you happy? Are you happy when you're in email? Are you happy when you're in a spreadsheet? Are you happy when you're talking to people, when you're helping people? Like, what actually makes you feel good? And write that list. And he was like, and for your first job, Look for that. Look for the things that fill your days and the things that you want to get better at because then after you've done that for a little while, you can also do the like right company and the right, you know, the right team. But he was like, make yourself an expert at the thing that you actually want to be spending your time doing. And so I I love... I love this, like, do you want to be spending your time querying agents? Like, does that feel like the productive energy? Then great, like, that is what you should be relentless in. But, like, if what you want to do is to be spending your time just, like, writing or writing and being read, like, one of the most prolific authors I know is one of our listeners, Danny, who's written hundreds of thousands of words, all of which have been read in her fanfic community. So, I love this question of like, how do you want to spend your artistic time? Like, what is that time? I think that that's such a beautiful way to think about this. Well, and different things are going to fill you up at different times too. And again, you don't have to pick one path. I know lots of authors who traditionally publish and self-publish and write fan fiction. Like success is going to look different for every project. Part of it is knowing what that is, but then also accepting that you don't have to follow this sort of societal prescribed path of here's how you feel good about your art. Right. And the reflection time to keep checking in with yourself of like, is this still true now? Right. Yeah. And knowing that you can, you can reevaluate. It's not like a, it's not a failure or even a, even a flaw to like readjust your sales. The winds are going to change. I was going to do an extended sailing metaphor. I love extended metaphors. (laughs) 
<laughs> but yeah, like it's, it's not a failure to reevaluate if something works for one project, but doesn't work for the next or your markers of success are different. That doesn't mean one project is better than the other, or that you are a better writer right. or a more ambitious writer or whatever. It just means you're different and you're changing and the world changes. And we feel different every day as people in the world and what you need is, is going to change. Well, Mackenzie, thank you so much. I think that your publishing class is just going to be such an asset to so many people. And I'm really grateful that you're taking the time to share your knowledge. I think also a lot of people feel like this knowledge is proprietary and want to keep it behind gates. And I just love that you're like, no, I know these things. Please let me tell you. Please don't make the mistakes I did. I spent so long in my writing career feeling like I can't ask questions and I just have to know these things. I mean, I talk to published authors all the time who are like, yeah, I don't actually know how that works. I don't know how much time I have to do this. I don't know what the process is. I don't know what this person I'm emailing with. I don't know what their job is. And I think when you commodify something that is like a dream for so many people, we get told a lot, like, just be grateful to be here. You just need to be so grateful you have a seat at the table don't stand up for yourself. Don't advocate for yourself. Just like be grateful. And I think especially too, because there's publishing is so dominated by, by women. You can really sort of prey on that. Again, that societal expectation of women to just like be grateful for what you have and not make a fuss. And often we think that we're, we're making trouble or we're rocking the boat when really we're just trying to understand. And it's like you said, this information isn't proprietary. We act like it is again, because like, I don't know, there's some secret elite special feeling to know what, how publishing works behind the scenes when really it's like, it's super helpful just to tell each other what the difference between marketing and publicity is and how your advance works and whether you need to be an LLC and how your taxes work. Like all of these things, it's just tell each other and help each other and don't pull the ladder up behind you. So I'm really excited to teach this class. I'm hoping to teach all the things that I had to learn the hard way. And hopefully we'll be able to answer a lot of individual questions for the students too. And we can really go through and I want it to be a very personalized experience to talk about what people want to learn about and talk about. Well, thank you so much. And please thank your dog for any snores that were able to make it on mic. The noise level between the construction and the dog snoring. Thank you for putting up with that. (laughs) Good luck to your editors. I loved that Mackenzie pointed out how much of this is luck and privilege and who you know and being in the right rooms and that each of her books actually got published in a different way. And I love that she is admitting, right, that like often producing your art is difficult because there are gatekeepers and that she is trying to help break down those gates. So again, you can find out more about her class at notsorryworks.com. Regardless of whether or not you decide to produce your art, I hope you keep making art because that's what the world needs. The world needs people thinking creatively. This has been an episode of Should I Quit? Our latest season of The Real Question. Our show is funded through our Patreon at patreon.com slash realquestionpod. If you're a regular listener, we'd love your support. Another way you can support this show is by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. You can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Real Question Pod. We love to shout out our BFF tier patrons, Molly Reilly, Kristen Hall, Mary Margaret, Becky Boo, Jenny Cruz, Amanda Schramm, and Shannon Sheehan. We are Not Sorry Production. Our executive producers are Caitlin Hoffmeister and me, Vanessa Zoltan. We are edited and produced by the amazing Ariana Nettleman. Our music is by Nick Bull and we are distributed by Acast. And thanks as always to our wonderful team. 
Julia Argy, Nikki Zoltan, AJ Aramas, Hannah Rehack, Margaret H. Wilson, Courtney Brown, Natalie Folkerts, Casper Turkyle, and Stephanie Paulsell. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.